18 and chapter 9. Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. Today's second scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, and can be found on pages 965 to 966 of the Pew Bibles. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came out. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to the public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what isn't conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he would give him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, everyone. It's good to be with you today. And uh, I deeply appreciated those thoughts that uh, Johnson shared with us. It reminded me a little bit of a very meaningful email I received this past week from a, a good friend who lives in Asia. And uh, he sent me a sermon by another uh, pastor from Singapore, which is always good for pastors to listen to other pastors preaching. It sometimes convicts us, which is a very good thing. Anyway, the idea of the sermon, which I found very, very helpful to me personally, was the idea of how God's grace and God's mercy, as we trace it through our own lives, it's very hard to understand it unless we also comprehend at the very same moment that we really don't deserve it. Because sometimes in life we look at our neighbor or our brother or someone else and think, well, I'm actually doing pretty well compared to whomever. But the reality is before God. This greatness of God coming and moving and us understanding the will of God for our lives and sometimes we don't grasp hold of it immediately. 
But in retrospect, as one looks backwards at it, it then becomes quite clear and we can see how God has moved and what God has done. But every time that God enters a life, that life is changed. Sometimes I think we as believers, as Christians, as those who follow God, have begun to limit our expectation as to what God will do in our lives when he brings both salvation, but then he comes and he lives within us. Think about that for just a moment. God in us. We are celebrating during this Advent season the historical coming of God in the person of Jesus Christ in a manner that has never, ever happened since then, nor had it happened before then, that God came. And as God comes, he changes people's lives. We're talking today about this record in the book of Matthew about the birth of Jesus. But as Matthew writes, and the second account, of course, is recorded by Luke in his writings, but as Matthew writes here, he not only emphasizes the birth of Jesus, but he gives us a little bit different focus than what Luke does, which we will look at again next week. But Matthew begins to describe what happens in the lives of those to whom God is coming. They have plans, they have ideas, they have concepts. They are living and they are working through life. But when God comes, all of a sudden God gives them a new or better or more developed plan even within what that they were doing. Now, today we have had the third Advent candle, the candle of hope signifying hope. And I've just been so impressed as we've gone through these candles that I realized, you know, faith, peace, joy, coming with love, those very things that our world is so very uh, needy of and what we really are looking for are found in God. Well, God coming. Now, the scriptures we had read for us today, beginning there at verse 18, it says, let me read that to you again as we are looking at that this morning. It says, now this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. So as Matthew introduces this, he's going to, just in his very introductory sentence, going to explain to us that he's not going to give us all the details but he is going to give us a focus upon which he wants us to understand how the coming of God happened and the outworkings of that coming. Because if you look at verse 18, and then it'll speak about Mary, the mother who was betrothed, or she was engaged to be married to Joseph, and before they came together, she was found to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit. But then, look what then verse 22 does. He writes there and says, All this took place to fulfill 
what the Lord had said through the prophet. So between verse 18, this is the way, to verse 22, this all happened in this way because. And the because is because God had said, I will send you. This one, look at the quote that was read to us from the prophet Isaiah. Behold, a virgin will conceive. That's miraculous. That is a working of God. And then he says, and she will bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. And then the Bible gives us the meaning of that name, God with us. This miracle of God that he's doing, this prophecy that he's giving and is fulfilling it in the coming. And Matthew wants to give us an insight in that when God comes, it changes the way life is lived. It changes us from the inside out. You know, there are several New Testament writers who describe this coming of God. Let me read some, a couple of them to you. It's not simply Mark, or excuse me, Matthew and Luke who have written, but look what Peter writes. He says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This idea, he came. And what results happen? He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty We're, when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice from, was born to him from majestic glory. This is my beloved son in well, who I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice which came from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain. So first he's going to say, Peter is going to say, This wasn't something someone made up. This is not a myth. And why I tell you it's not a myth is because I saw, I heard, and not only did I hear this one who's come, this God in the flesh, Jesus, but I heard the voice from the eternal Father say, this is my son. And then he could relate to on the day of, as he's baptized, they saw the Spirit of God descend like a spirit, uh, like a dove upon him. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. This is a miracle and God at the very center. That's what Peter says to us. And then he goes on and sp- explains about the prophets. He says, we have this prophetic word that there, there is coming a son born of a virgin, whose name is Emmanuel, he says, as a lamp shining in a dark place. And then look what he says about this, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophet was ever, prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so he says, this coming of Jesus was a fulfillment of the promise of the prophecy of Jesus Christ. And so he says to us, he knows this is true. He knows this is the right thing because he has experienced it. It reminds me a little bit as we were studying together the book of 1 John. You remember how 1 John says, 
that this word which was with the Father at the beginning has been made manifest to us. He has come. And because he has come, he said, and I saw him with my eyes. I heard him with my ears. I touched him. And I experienced him. And then he says, and he has come that we might have fellowship with God the Father and fellowship with God the Son. Remember that definition of fellowship in the original means, and we share with them. What do we share with God the Father, God the Son? Why did he come? That we might share eternal life. This coming God. Peter says, I saw him, I heard him. John says, I saw him, I heard him, I touched him. It's real. And the great change that came in those men's lives because God had come. Paul writes about it something similar. He says, when the grace of God, just as he's written about Jesus, God our Savior, has appeared, the coming, the appearing, the being there with them, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the Lord, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul writes and says, because he has come, he also changes the way we live life. And now he's going to talk about living in a godly and, and righteous manner. May I just leave this question with you before we move on to these other verses. Has God come? In all of our lives, that we who are seated here this morning with one another and those who've joined us on Zoom, has God come in each one of our lives? You see, what Peter would say, if he's come, there's this sense of the reality of God. That God has fulfilled his promises. That which he has said, he has done. God has reached to us. No matter what we would do, we cannot reach to him. But he has come to us. And John would say, oh my. He not only have I heard him, have I seen him, have I felt him, have I touched him but he came with this message that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And he says, this is what he brings that we can have eternal life. And Paul would write and say, because he's come. The way I live my life is different. The decisions, the values, and the things I do and say and who I am are different because God has come. That's what Christmas is all about. And so Matthew, as he writes, says, this is how it happened in verse 18. And moves us down to verse 22 and says, this has all happened in this way that God could fulfill the prophecy which he has given. There is one coming. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. Deeply touched about how the Lord Jesus, when he was on earth, remember how he spoke to the religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees? And he described them as tombs. 
that were whitewashed on the outside and full of deadness inside. You see, that's one of the dangers of religiousness is we can be whitewashed on the outside and yet inside. But everything that has been described for us here is as he comes, he changes us from the inside. Now, look how he changed. We talk about Mary, and we've read her story this morning too, and we'll talk more about it next week. But this morning, Matthew focuses upon Joseph because Joseph was her husband. You see, in that time and age, of course, when an engagement of that way that was made, and some of you may come from a variety of cultures or backgrounds, where this idea of being in a, a binding commitment before marriage is the way it happens. We come from a total different culture. It certainly is not better. But one of the rules that we did have in our family, rules or suggestions, is that we have three daughters, and I suggested as father, I wanted the husbands-to-be to come and ask permission. I took that from the Old Testament story. And I remember my youngest daughter, when the suitor of her eldest daughter came to talk with me. And the only question my youngest daughter had after the talk was finished was, Dad, did you tell him about Rachel and Leah? Because that was the Bible story. I'd always built that out of how he had to ask for the second daughter and ask again and then work for all those years before he would be given that. And I said, well, the main points we covered. But you see, Joseph and Mary were in this agreement. And in the midst of that, it was found that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And then you see, Joseph then becomes the person in focus. Here it says, because Joseph was her husband, so already legally he was considered to be responsible and was faithful to the law. As Matthew is writing this and as the translators translated this, they wanted us to understand by the law at that time, he had every right to send her home absolutely shamed. And by doing that, he would prove that he had no guilt in this. And I thought, actually, that's an odd way to translate that because he was faithful to the law. And what I've actually found as we read that, if you read several versions of the translations of the Bible, you'll find that sometimes the translators have chosen words which we thought in English are a bit interesting. Often they do that because the original word has a very deep and significant meaning. And it's so with this one. He was faithful to the law, but actually, originally it means he was righteous. He was godly. And because he was godly, he was not only faithful to the law, but look what he does then. Because he was godly, because he was righteous, he did not want to expose her publicly to disgrace. He had made up in his mind to divorce her quietly. So he knew he could do this, but he knew the righteous thing to do was this. So instead of doing this, which he could do legally and get away with it, living right up to the edge of the law, he did this because that was 
the law of heart, of integrity. It reminds me of one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, Psalm 78, 72. It describes the reason or gives the reason why God selected David to be his king. Remember what it reads there? You will remember in 1 Samuel, as Saul, the first king, uh, really makes significant problems and he needs to be replaced after his passing. And God asked Samuel to go and anoint the next king, who will be David, of course. And as he goes and God gives him some direction, he goes to the tribe and then he goes to the right family of Jesse and he begins looking with the eldest son, which he thought would naturally be God's choice, and then goes down one after the other, and eventually, of course, he finds no one and asks, don't you have another son? They said, well, the youngest is herding the sheep. He asks him to come, and as he comes, God speaks to Samuel and said, Samuel, you have been looking on the outside. I look at the heart. Remember when God comes? There's a change that happens here, which will impact everything of life. And here's what God says about David in Psalm 78, 72. And God had chosen David to shepherd his people from the man who'd been a shepherd of sheep because of the integrity of heart and the skill of his hands. Integrity of heart. As God comes. And so <clears throat> Joseph, <clears throat> excuse me, because of the integrity of his heart, he chose to do that. And I find then the way it is written is so wonderful here. In verse 20, it continues on. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What I want you to capture this morning is the process, the progression that is happening. You see, as in his heart, he's committed to be godly. Can I ask you a question? Each one of us. I ask it to myself. Am I, are we committed to be godly? And the way we make decisions and why we make decisions and how we live our life are because of the godly motivation of God in us. And look what he does with Joseph. You see, as Joseph, as he works in that godly attitude of heart, say, I know I can do this, but I believe God's way is this way. And he chooses God's way. Then look what happens. And then God comes. And speaks to him because he's that point, at that point ready for more from God. And look what God says to him. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. As I was reading and preparing, that is the phrase in all of these verses that will not leave me. Do not be afraid. If God was to come to each one of us this morning, and God was to use that phrase for our lives, for our situation, for exactly where we are. If God came to each one of us and said, now do not be afraid to, and you fill in the last word. What is God saying? Now I cannot look into our, each of our hearts, 
but you and God can. And I believe as God comes, as we are ready and as we are prepared like Joseph, he had his mind in the right way. He was determined to be godly and that God came. And now he said to him, now Joseph, do not be afraid, but do take Mary to be your wife. And so he did. And he acknowledged that God had given this direction and God was coming. She will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. So in this portion of scripture, we're given these two names, the name Emmanuel, God with us, and then the name Jesus. And again, the purpose of God, the plan of God is explained in the definition of the name and the purpose of his coming. He will save his people from their sins. It's amazing. Which means that you and I, seated here this morning, do not need to live under the guilt of sin. And the way we deal with sin, like John wrote in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, then it says, when Joseph woke, he went and he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, and so then he honored her, and he took his responsibility before God. You see, his whole life changed as God came. His plans changed. Mary's plans had changed. Joseph's plans changed. But God gave them his will and his purpose for their lives. He said, and they did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. So he also honored what God was doing through her. And then he gave him the name Jesus. In that part of the world, in some other parts of the world, and probably particularly at this time and space, the role of the father or the husband as the wife gives birth is pretty different. In our modern world, if we can, we try to be there by the birth. We have four children, and we are a transitional generation. Two, I could not be by the birth, and two, I were. I was, excuse me, I can't worry yet. I was. And uh, anyway, that's over a cup of coffee discussion. Our second daughter was born at home, and I've mentioned it before, but, uh, you know, the bridge in Vienna had collapsed, the Reichsbrücke, and so the Hebammer and the, uh, what's that in English? Midwife, thank you. Yes, the midwife, thank you so much, who speak both languages. Anyway, she couldn't make it on time. She'd given Lois this medication to move into birth, and I remember Lois was lying there. In the, anyway, and uh, I, she said, it's, he's, it's coming. And I, I whipped open the fireman's manual, and I was reading how to help with birth. Totally unprepared. And, and then she's saying, I know it's coming, I know it's coming. And I, I remember holding my wife's hand and saying, dear, let's not do anything funny right now. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's not do anything. What a, what a terrible thing to say at that moment. Why do I tell you this? Because you see, in that day and age, it was a different world. And the father's responsibility was to take the newborn child 
and to walk outside the tent or the small house in which they lived to raise that child above his head and before all of the unseen and seen world to pronounce the name. And normally Joseph, you see, as God had changed the plans of his life, normally Joseph would have said, and this is Bar or Ben-Joseph, the son of Joseph. Like the ancient film, Ben-Hur, the son of Hur. But his new calling was to lift that son high and says, his name is Jesus. You see, the coming of God changed the very way that Joseph lived his life. So too, the coming of God will change the very way that we live our lives. And so as we come to the end of this, we are celebrating Advent, the coming of God. God with us, God the one who will save us from our sins. And may I just ask you in closing two questions. Has God come to you? You know, if we celebrate Christmas and we give one another presents, but the great gift of God is that God has given his son unto you is given, is born to you and to me. Have we received that and know the forgiveness of sins? And then secondly, for those of you who know him, if God was coming today and said to you, do not be afraid to, what would you put in that blank? What do you know in the depth of your heart God has been dealing with you about? And he wants you to take that step just like Joseph did. He heard God. He believed God. He trusted Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this, your word, and for the Christmas that we celebrate each year. And Lord, the truth of Christmas is so amazing that you, God, have come. You've come that we might worship you and we might praise you. But most of all, Lord, you've come to forgive our sins that we would have eternal life and could live with you. So we worship you, we thank you, and I ask for each of us here today as we consider what is your will for us. Lord, I pray if there's any person seated here among us who as they look in their soul, they do not see the presence of God. They cannot observe it. Their lives have not been changed that God is there. May you give them hearts to hear minds and souls to believe, faith to trust, and courage to obey. And for all of us, Lord, as we think for a moment, where we through our lives have heard you say, do not be afraid to, may even this morning we bring those things to you. And God, might you fulfill each one according to your perfect plan, your will for our lives. So we worship you and we thank you and we praise you now in the name of Jesus. Amen.